0: You're listening to World Building for Masochists.
1: And we're wondering why we do
2: this to ourselves. Well, because that cabin that they keep putting on Twitter and saying, Would you come stay here without any cell phone or internet for a month? isn't apparently a real offer, so we need some kind of form of escape. I'm Rowena Miller.
0: I'm Marshall Ryan Moresca.
1: I'm Cass Morris, and this is episode 75: World Building Beyond Borders. Which frankly makes us sound much more charitable than we really are, especially. It really
2: does. It really does. That's kind of going especially for that. to our characters. <laughs> <laughs> and our readers. Yeah, that too. That too.
0: You know, that I would love sort of like I don't know if it's necessarily would be a cozy fantasy, but where like the main characters are just like essentially peace corps or something, just like going places and like oh, there's a a plague here. We'll just, you know, help people and cure it and we'll, you know, do things like that. Like, there's no, they never draw their swords. They never do anything, you know, they just, they just solve problems and and do kind things and that's the whole thing. I saw
1: a concept one time for like, I think it was supposed to be for like a role-playing game. It was one of those like, you know, cozy concepts rather than an an Mm -hmm. action-adventure concept for an RPG that was like, what if it's these people that are just like animal conservationists and they're just taking care of their critters. And I'm like, I love it. That's great. I, that'd be I awesome. <laughs> and then I imagine cause like it was, it was somehow star Wars related. And I was thinking like, except that my character in that world would still be like the rebel fighter, but who keeps like coming across these animals in her fights and is like, wait, I have to save this and take it to my friends at the conservation here, take this cute thing. <laughs> I picked it up on a battlefield. I don't know what it is. It's cute though. It likes to be scratched under the chin, so here, have this, and and I'm gonna go now. Back to my phone.
2: They have an absolutely zero triple tolerance policy. <laughs> ever since that one incident at the I shelter. I mean, that's <laughs> fair. That's a fair policy to have. <laughs> absolutely fair policy.
0: Definitely, definitely a wise choice to avoid yeah. avoid the things that are self breeding and explosive.
1: Yeah, I don't want that. Anything born pregnant is just. That's just you. you don't. No, That's bad. Just bad. Anyway, news. Anyway, Does yes. anyone have any news? Does anyone have any excitement happening?
0: Um. Well, Kath, God, I think I hope not. you have some excitement <laughs> happening. In that you know something that was announced recently that
1: yes, that's that true.
0: For you is news for the summer.
1: That's true. Um, I have been invited to be the toastmaster at Armadillo Con in Austin the first weekend in August, and I'm super excited. I have been wanting to get to Armadillo Con and now i have to go i had to say yes of course so i'm looking forward to that i'm not still not really sure what the job entails besides being like their official extrovert for the weekend is is (laughs) what seemed to be the duties and i'm okay with that (laughs) that works for me
0: that and you make a speech you're gonna you 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 make a speech
1: it's i did ask i asked for parameters on any speech making be like just give me some boundaries and length and (laughs) Things like that. But <laughs> Boundaries. I don't know what those are yet. So,
2: so, so you can t- so you can test them. Yeah, probably. Hope you like rhetoric jokes.
0: Oh, it'll. I think oh. I think you'll find your crowd for that.
2: <laughs> I'll be a good crowd, bigger crowd for that.
1: Good.
0: I think so. I think so. And that's about it. I had a book come out last month, and you did. It's awesome. I hate <laughs> you,
1: jerk. <laughs> As usual, I had to send Marshall a message the next day, yelling at him for keeping me from my sleep. So.
0: That just means I did a very good job denying you sleep.
1: You did, and I'm angry, and everyone should go read Assassins of Consequence.
0: (laughs) And then you can also be angry at so
1: Yes, and then you too can be angry at Marshall.
0: (laughs) I need plenty of people to be very mad at me about the events of this book.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think also by the time this episode releases, um, I will have officially re-released from Unseen Fire and giveaway tonight in ebook with their shiny new covers. So, Ooh. if you want the, they're so shiny. The,
0: they're very shiny.
1: Newly they're revised so shiny. and improved editions. I don't know what they mean. That's just what they used to put on books back in the olden days when they put out a second edition. But that's what it is. So go get them. Excellent. You should get them.
0: Everyone should get those. Even if you already got them before, get them. again. Get them again.
2: Because <laughs> you want, you want the new shiny yeah. covers. Yeah. They're really cool. Collect them all.
0: <laughs> and Rowetta, do you have any news?
2: I got like nothing. Okay. So. <laughs> what is time? What's going on? I have I have no idea.
0: I I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So this time around, we're talking about not so much nations in terms of like countries, but more in terms of like partly in terms of like national identity and what makes a nation and what makes a people because that isn't always where the actual borders are in terms of how people think about themselves and that's uh can be an interesting thing to play with in in your world building
2: yes and i mean it's a complex and interesting thing even in the real world i mean i think that we often think of Everything is existing, like, in a map with, like, the neat little borders, and they're all different colors, but the way that people actually think about themselves can, can vary quite a bit. Um, you talk to people from other countries, and sometimes they do identify more with an ethnic group than they do with, like, I live in within these borders. So I think it's kind of an interesting thing to, like, push back on our assumption. Um, and it's not a uniquely American assumption, but I think as Americans, we do tend to assume, like, well, you know, identity, nationhood equals this stamped out place on a map that I exist within and it's like well that's that's one way to think about it and I think it's
1: a fairly modern notion too because for so much of history most people did not know what the map looked like you know that that's a relatively recent invention really um, and the idea and we talked about this in, in our cartography episode with Punk Shepherd that the maps didn't always reflect the reality of space either so like, What did you think of as your nation without that idea
2: of a border? If you
1: couldn't see it on a map, how did you identify yourself as part of a people, part of a group?
2: And I think this is a particularly, can be very uncomfortable topic given certain world events right now in which the rhetoric of nationhood and the rhetoric of what is a people um, can be deployed in ways that are not um, necessarily equitable or acknowledging of the reality of the situation as perceived by other people um so yeah
0: especially i mean in current events but also in recent events i mean in terms of like say you know being being a child of the 80s you remember that you know there was once a country called yugoslavia but almost nobody in yugoslavia thought of themselves as yugoslavian because it was basically like five different things that somebody else said no you're all a country now you're one country (laughs) and they were all like (laughs) Mm, not really are we though no. are we <laughs> are we yeah
2: we do do we get a say in this because we're not
1: sure I, mean, I feel like we're we're still seeing the fallout of that in what white people did to so much of africa just being like uh we're just gonna yeah. draw this squiggly line here and we're paying no attention to who actually lives in what areas and what, what? they think of each other uh yes it's yes, very good very good chaps that's a lovely map looks well divided i'm going home for the tea <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> yeah not a great practice as it turns yeah. out
0: that was an actual yes. transcript of the events yes. right there. Yes. <laughs> I'm reading that
1: from a from a document from 18 Dickety two uh
2: but yeah the question was like so yeah this was very important to you know the british and french and dutch and other various peoples who were divvying up that land they had to draw some lines who, who
0: decided they had the right to divvy up land and who had the right lines. to draw
2: these lines but yeah you have to question too, to what extent were lines even important to the people who were there at the time? Different lines may have been chosen or no lines at all. We didn't, we didn't need lines. Thank you. So it's, yeah, it's complicated. And our assumptions can actually like historically have produced some rather nasty side effects. And like any time that we get in a fight with each other and we have to like redraw the lines, (laughs) like there's always a problem. Like every time,
1: Well, hasn't this even happened between like every time between like the U.S. and Canada? Every once in a while, I feel like they'll like mm-hmm. redefine the border and it shifts by like just a little bit, and it's like, wait, that what happened? Who actually knows exactly what side of the border that tree is on?
2: I...
0: Or they define the border in a very specific way without looking at what the repercussions are. Like there's, there is this one little town that is because the border was defined as exactly like whatever the fifth. Fifty-fourth parallel north, I forget exactly, but there's, so there's this one little town. It's just this little nub of a town on on a on a peninsula that is in the U.S. because it's below, but there is no way to get to anywhere else without first going into Canada because it is just basically this part of this Canadian <laughs> city that then just this little nub on the peninsula extends past past the the fifty-fourth parallel, and so therefore. By definition, that is a U.S. town right there, and they're utterly reliant on their Canadian neighbors for all things because <laughs> because there's absolutely no infrastructure connecting them to the rest of the U.S.
1: Good job, So good, awkward, good job, <laughs> <Well>
2: politicians <done. laughs> in whatever year that was. Good job. Yeah. So you always you see these stories of places where like borders have gone up at some point and often suddenly and sometimes violently, and it's like yeah this went right through our town and half of my family lives over there and we haven't seen them in 20 years. Or yeah, sometimes we come to the, the wall that they built and like, hi, hi. Because this artificial border goes through places that people already existed, like people have in every place we've ever put up a border, people lived there before the border happened. So like anytime this happens, there's gonna be some kind of weird fallout. And sometimes beyond weird sometimes tragic and that
1: that brings up really a really great point which is like what even is a border and how does anyone know where the border is and like sometimes it's super easy sometimes it's the river right rivers make great borders cuz you can't miss it it's it's right there <laughs> we know we're on this side and we know you're on this side but beyond that beyond like something really physically distinct like like a a river or an ocean or something how do people know where a border is well you can put up signs, I guess. You can build a wall. Lots of people have done that throughout history, but with with varying, with varying degrees of success. But without those <laughs> things, how does the physical space, you know, how does it how does it matter to the people living on one side of the border or the other? And is it a fixed spot or not? It's something I found interesting. I've been listening to a, a podcast recently about. Um, Rome's relationship with its quote unquote barbarian neighbors throughout history and for so much of the time they would talk about being on the border but it wasn't like a fixed line it was sort of understood as a nebulous inchoate space that was like well we know this town is ours and then beyond that somewhere it changes but there's not like a fixed point it's not like you step over the border the border was more of a region in a line, the way I think we think about it, because of the way modern so, maps
2: so make us think. Of you things. sort of start getting less Roman, yeah. and a little bit more those other guys, gradually <laughs> yeah. as time kind and of. And people would move
1: back and goes. forth. Like, like even Hadrian's Wall, which people think of as being like the border of the Roman Empire, it's like it was really more to like be a like customs checkpoint and control trade and, and things <laughs> like that. People <laughs> went back and forth all it's the largely time. symbolic. Yeah, it was sort of like <laughs> we sort of felt like doing a thing to. To make a big deal out of ourselves and people move back and forth all the time and that happened with like the germanic tribes too they would move back and forth and and it was never as fixed an idea as i think our modern mind tends to think of a border
2: and i think that that when we talk about moving and the movement of people i think that raises another point which is like we think of the space that we occupy as fixed largely like i live in this house and this house is part of this Town and this town was part of this state, which is part of this country. And these are all fixed things that exist in space. But historically, plenty of people did not live fixed in space, they moved. And so, what does a border mean to you if your life is nomadic, semi nomadic, or is seasonal and you're living one part of life in this area, one part of another, or you're fully just like moving around continuously? Like, you you don't necessarily tie your sense of what is my nation what is my people to this spot in space because you don't have a singular spot in space that you put like drop a pin here on
0: your your definition of who your people are or is that shared culture that maybe shared language is shared story and then you can have the the interesting thing is if you have a people, a sense of national, a sense of identity that is maybe not necessarily national identity, which is again another, you know, thread to pull at there of what what is a cultural identity if it's not a national identity, but who are within say a more physical, you know, nation where there is one national identity, but then you have say a nomadic people who are moving in and out who have a completely different identity, but are maybe living together in a cohesive way, or maybe not so much.
2: Yes, I mean, if, if we, for the moment of the thought experiment toss the idea of the place where you live is defined by a border, and that is who you are, not just where you are, like, what are other ways that people can define their, their nationhood, or peoplehood, for lack of a better term?
0: Right. I mean, is it, is it an ethnic group and how broadly or narrowly do you f- define an ethnic group? Is it, is it by shared language? Is it by shared religion? Is it by a shared or even a shared common location that's a different part of the world? Like if you're talking about a diaspora group who will still identify with where they came from, even if within wherever they are they're you know they may have all came from the same place two three four generations ago but they still hold on to that as a sense of identity even if not necessarily a sense of even if there isn't still that same cultural or linguistic connection
2: yeah i mean you said earlier marshall and i like how you phrase this do they share a story Mm -hmm. i mean can it be even something to the sense of we as a people share this story of where we came from or who we are. And that is who we are as a people is we have this story that we tell ourselves about ourselves.
1: I would love to see that literalized in some way. Like we, so we talk so much about the things that, that magic makes real that it it literalizes in fantasy fiction. And like, what if simply by hearing a story, your identity changed your, your sense of nationhood changed? Changed because you had heard the story. I don't know. There might be something there.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, I like that. Or, or you are given a role in mm. the story. You're written into the story in some way. By being written to the story, now you are part of the story. And if you're part of the story, you're part of the people.
0: I mean, there's been a few things I can think of that like use the concept of like a verbal virus almost. Where by hearing a thing, it then basically colonizes in your brain and you become part of whatever this new thing is. And usually, like, there's this one weird zombie movie called Pontypool where where the zombiness is spread through words. And if you hear the correct phrases from an infected person it's going to infect you but like and it's set in canada and so but it only works in english so then they like have to talk french to each other to not <laughs> <laughs> to not uh infect each other it's, it's a weird but brilliant little movie
1: that is kind of glorious I, I love that that's pretty good i mean i feel like i've, I've seen sometimes you know the story being an initiation into adulthood but I don't think I've ever really mm. seen it attached to an idea of, like, nationhood in the same way. I
2: do enjoy how you brought up Canada and the linguistics <laughs> of Canada. Because I think language is another way that you can think of as, like, this This is what makes a people. And it's, it's fascinating to me, like, that the, the Québécois are very proud of their French language. And this is, like, a, an important part of their identity even to the point of multiple times you know that they see themselves as having a separate enough identity to try to separate from Canada in, in one way or another which has not happened but that this is part of an, of an identity that separates them from others within their nation to some degree and it'd be interesting I actually haven't followed that recently to what extent that has like is that still simmering has that cooled down for the most part is there still any conversation about that but what always fascinated me was that the, the Quebecois French speakers are like even more vigilantly proud of their French language than French people in some ways. Which that's, that that's, they, saying that's something. a lot <laughs> hard. Yeah, that's a lot because the French language, like all other language, will pick up words from English or other languages and just kind of like adopt them. But the Quebecois rejected this so like in French like they just took Walkman and said like it's Walkman and the Quebecois were like no we're making up a word for that it's Bendolier or something (laughs) like this and in French I forget I forget what the Quebecois word is but for parking in French it's just parking which is hilarious (laughs) like where's the parking but they picked a different they made up a word for it in Quebecois French because they did not want to be amalgamating with English in any way even though that's what mainland
0: France was doing that also makes me think of just how pockets of language just will stick in isolated communities I mean Cajun is a separate language that still exists in pockets in Louisiana and it's kind of fascinating it's like how how can how does this survive and thus an identity survives even though you know in full modernity there should be you know enough interconnectivity and such that you wouldn't think that a isolated pocket would still exist but yet it does and i think there's also some like islands off of north carolina that it's virginia that have that
1: tangier island yeah tangier island essentially still speaks shakespearean english and they just it's a really isolated community and they haven't changed much in 400 years um and they're actually imperiled now because One, people are moving away. And two, the island is about to be a victim of climate change. It's slowly sinking into the sea.
0: (laughs) It's literally going away.
1: It's literally disappearing. (laughs) But yeah, it's one of those weird pockets. And I think that's too, like, um, if you think about a lot of the Celtic languages, like um, Irish Gaelic, Scotch Gaelic, Welsh, Welsh, Cornish, and um, Breton, uh, the Breton language. There's been a huge movement in the last century or so to preserve those because they were getting completely... Wiped out by English, as it tends to do to everything it touches, um, much like zombie plagues. ourselves, the English people. Yes, <laughs> yes. We, you hear it, and, and like, you die. Like,
2: are we are, are we are we sure that this movie that you saw in was, wasn't like a a pro <laughs> French speaking English is a plague kind of propaganda? I mean, thing it certainly made. was Fair. a metaphor for English is a plague. Fair,
1: <laughs> but yeah, like there's there's been this movement to preserve those because those regions have a sense of national identity, even within whatever other country they are part of. Being part of the Celtic nation is also a part of identity, in addition to being British or French, or what have you.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting too, just, I mean, I want to talk about places that the borders have shifted over the years. The UK is certainly one of those places that the borders have continuously shifted over the years, and are still in weird flux, and to what degree do you identify with the larger nation versus the chunk of it that you're from versus a, a linguistic group i think it's an interesting case study of when everything around you is changing where do you identify
1: there's a great line in, in one of my favorite musicals chess which is the first act is set in this town of Murano, and the line is um right now we're italian we used to be german the borders keep shifting around <laughs> it's, like, it's <laughs> like i was like perfect that's lovely
2: yes
0: you can also have this sort of like, what if, even though you have a personal identity with wherever you are because of language, or whatever, there can then be this sort of like blanket over identity that some people will still have. Like, there was a concept of the German people well before there was a Germany, and long, long yeah, all these, yeah. all these you know tiny little archduchies and and what have you that. All considered themselves German, but what did that mean? Because there were like a hundred mini nations, each with their own, each with their own royal lines and all that, and it's just madness if you try and think about it. But like, but the idea that there was still that sort of sense of identity despite not being a nation is is, is an interesting concept, and it's one of those things that I'm. I'm always fascinated with, because I because I do love maps, is how do you show this sort of thing on the map? And then how do you, like, what's the easiest way when you're, like, doing your world-building work of expressing this in a way that's not, I want to say, reductive?
2: Yeah. Like... <laughs> I would love to see, like, a watercolor. Oh, map. that'd be awesome. Where it's, like... The different peoples are represented by like water, and they're bleeding into each other, and there's like overlap and like that
1: would be so cool and so expensive. No publisher would pay for that.
2: <laughs> no, no one's gonna do that. that no one's that would gonna have to do be a bonus that. Feature on your website. On, <laughs> that's a bonus. That's a bonus <laughs> a feature.
0: Like a paperback. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's gonna that's gonna be on your Patreon because you're not gonna get any publisher to sign off on. It's that. a gorgeous but idea, I though. I love it.
0: I I actually did play with that idea a little bit on the world map for the world map meridian. One part where I have no hard border. Marshall, you're gesturing sort of, at it. You
1: realize our listeners can't see you, right? Yes, I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which
0: is, I know.
2: I'm gesturing he is, at gesturing it He's gesturing at the map Yes. <laughs> he
1: he's,
2: he's Vanna van it. He's going to cut all great. of this
1: and, and us mocking him.
2: <laughs> he hates us.
0: I love y'all. You know that. <laughs> Where I did just have sort of the colors just sort of bleed into each other rather than rather than draw border lines, but which I think is a fun thing to do.
1: Our, our map makers use dotted lines. They use, they do that thing where like they, they'd put the stripies over a, a section if it's mm-hmm. sort of interdicted or, or in dispute, but even that does not, that still seems sort of reductive in some ways. And I think that's a, it's a fair question to ask. Like how do you represent it?
2: I enjoy, and there are some fun representations of, um, Native American tribes that kind of do a similar thing because there was a lot of overlap there and you have tribes that are kind of like they're like groups that are part of larger tribes and those tribes are part of larger alliances and so kind of like kind of all fit together you can find some kind of fun maps of those especially since those shifted historically too of what groups occupied particular areas If if I think of it I'll do a Google.
1: One of my favorite genres of YouTube video is something that shows a map changing over time i just oh. love them love it I just, it's those, those... it's like it's like a- asmr for my eyes i'm just like yes this is beautiful i love it keep keep feeding, keep feeding this to me because there's so many stories in there They're like
0: yes in doing your world building if you can actually justify making such a video yourself of where you're showing you're showing the shifting things over time then that's super cool Though I mean, fantasy tends to avoid that sort of thing, which is a shame, because, like in fantasy, you often get this sort of things of like, this group of people are a people who are a nation, and like that's been this way. They always since... have been.
1: They always. <laughs> they always happen. Be.
0: They always will be.
1: World without end. Amen.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> And and this map has not changed in ten thousand years. And
1: <laughs> I mean, I've liked following that in your books, Marshall, in the the gangs of Aventil and and how their territory shifts from book to book. And I think that's fun. You should animate that.
0: It'd be a quick animation because there's only four of those maps. But no, but you could but show still, them like, like blobbing
1: <laughs> and like draw da.
0: <laughs>
1: could be a GIF or something.
0: It could be a GIF. It could be a GIF. It
1: could be a seven second TikTok.
0: Ooh. Ah. Ah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and 30 people would see it (laughs) but i mean that sort of thing is always such a fun thing to do but then in fantasy world building then you can have the idea of like who are a people or who are a nation be more strictly defined because if you're you know bringing magic or gods and godly intervention into it then it can be just by you know Divine Edict. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of the Belgariad, where you had the seven gods made seven peoples, and and then decla- six of them were like, "These will be our peoples." And then the seventh god was like, "I have decided I don't want a people. Never mind." <laughs> and and then those people were like, "But, but, so we're without a god? Yep. Go off. See ya. <laughs> have find something else to do."
1: <laughs> well, in one of my faves, um, Kushiel's Legacy, it's it's an our world map, but it's it's a historical fantasy and so the um english channel is impassable for magical reasons and yeah and it's it's a sort of it's a major plot point in the first trilogy figuring out how to get around that and, and how to ameliorate it and whatever but like for hundreds of years only occasionally did a ship ever make it from one coast to the other and so in that world england and france that were the england and france analogs they have different names um are much more divergent than they are in our history because you literally couldn't cross the channel and it's for magical reasons because there's actually a magical dude on an island being like, none shall pass. (laughs) Hmm. And like, you can do things like that in fantasy and have there be a real reason why these two countries that are right next to each other don't talk to each other because magic.
0: And also because magic borders can be a significantly more real thing because, you know... you know, it might be just a line on the map, but if the person who drew the line on the map is a wizard of sufficient power who can be be like, I've drawn this line and then like... a It
2: appears, yeah. (laughs) Or the other way around, that like the border that's like not really real can still be real. Like if the border is somewhat intelligent in and of itself, like yeah, it pops up anywhere within a 50 mile radius and we all know when it pops up, like that's the border and it means something. Maybe magic works over there and it doesn't work over here or magic does different things or if you're you know certain languages have magical powers that others don't but only when the border is working in that way like that could be kind of a fun like the border is in fact
1: the magic winds are blowing so
2: almost so you can't get from yeah. new york to jersey today
1: because the uh, the magic winds are off the ocean and until t- that dies down
2: yep or you can't cross it you, it's just a magical border that you can't cross and it keeps like popping up in different spots and sorry might pop up just in the middle of your living breaks. room who knows
1: super inconvenient just sorry
2: about that wait a that. while it'll it will go away eventually Ooh, what if
1: it popped up in the middle of a person that'd be terrible no it doesn't, it doesn't oh, okay. do that good. it doesn't do that I'm glad that. Yeah. it's yeah <laughs> it's, you just kind of blorp off to whichever side is So it, you know, could, it yeah, could feel weird fine. for a minute as you're yeah. like suddenly three feet it, well land, yeah 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 it doesn't but, splice you in half no good I'm glad thanks for
2: reassuring me Rowena no problem, anytime. I'm mean to my characters, but not quite that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not, not quite sudden, sudden bisection.
2: <laughs> sudden vivisection. Spontaneous bisection. Oh,
1: Ooh. I'm sure someone's yeah, done no, that. Yeah, no, I avoid that.
0: Also, the, the concept of the border can be something magical, so it's not, like, the difference between your nations can be, don't necessarily have to be, a traditionally physical thing it can be some sort of magical thing like um what is it catvalentis palancet that it's like a city you can only get to if you've had sex with somebody else from the city like it's 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 you know it's basically your passport is an STD and what is the i haven't read this one yet but is it china Meaville's the city in the city where it's like two different cities are in the same physical space, but, like, I don't know if they're separated by some sort of magic or if it is just custom of, like, you don't acknowledge the people of the other city. Like, you just pretend they're not there unless... <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's magically enforced or something like that. Uh, it's... it's, I don't know.
1: That'd be some very strange etiquette and, and how to negotiate that.
0: But, yeah, <laughs> it, I think it is, like, definition of citizenship by etiquette, almost, of, like, you know who you are and where you are is entirely like about just acknowledgement and and such.
2: Well, I mean, that's in some ways, isn't that kind of like what what nationhood and peoplehood and citizenship are Is kind of what acknowledges who? Yeah. Yeah. Like who is acknowledged by what entity? And what does it get you? We've certainly, I think that's part of it too. Like, like, do you have
1: the right to vote? Do you have the right to marry somebody of this culture? Do you have the right to do trade with these people? Like, I feel like that is a lot of what historically has defined the idea of belonging to a nation with or without the borders. What could you do
2: based on your identity? Right. And and who is doling out the acknowledgments and what is the enforcement for that? And when you have like really small communities, like it's it, it doesn't even have to be articulated necessarily just that everyone knows everyone and we know you're in or you're out and if you're not someone that we know we're not going to deal with you but the larger you get like the more layered the bureaucracy kind of becomes and can become this sense of yes there are there suddenly become things like papers and certificates and passports and identity cards or however you know you're imagining this working and can certainly be magical
1: yeah For the first chunk of American history, the way you became a citizen was by turning up and saying, hey, I'd like to pay taxes here. Like, that was what you did. (laughs) And now there's this. We'd love to have you. Absolutely, Taxes. Labyrinth to get through. It's, yeah, as as the state becomes complex, so often, I think, do the mechanisms of becoming part of the state become more complex. Mm
0: -hmm. And also, what can become more complex is like how are you defining what a nation is and then within the nation are there you know subsections and how do you define that just even like what are you calling it are you calling it a kingdom are you calling it a country are you calling it you know and how they call themselves like you know we may call you know the country may call itself the you know democratic republic or whatever but like there, there, there's no democracy or republicanism <laughs> happening there. <laughs> these
2: are these are just words that we picked.
0: If you know you're calling well, and, something an empire, what what makes it an empire? And then, what are those distinctions? And and are you a citizen of the empire, or are you a citizen of one of the the sections that are just controlled by the empire that are not like full members of the empire, or something like that? And
2: right. Well, and I think even if you have you know. The, even the storytelling of naming itself but then that's part of this larger storytelling that crafts a nation that says even who, who can be a citizen who is invited in who is welcome to be part of this this group I think that's kind of an interesting part too like are, are we going to have you just show up and say hi I want to be part of your group and you're like yeah sure you can be part of our nation welcome everybody or like no no we don't even have a citizenship test because no. We don't we don't welcome new people <laughs> we, You have we to don't be one like of us from the beginning. Here. <laughs> we don't know. Mm.
0: And but also is there levels of citizenship or belonging? Like is there say a distinction between a citizen and a civilian or something like that? And you live here and you have, you know, rights and obligations, but you're not really a citizen. Not like not yeah, like he, not like that guy over there who gets to vote.
1: I mean, that's been the case for women for most of history. It's like, ah, yes. Many places. Many times. You're a citizen of this country, but you don't actually get to do anything with
2: that. (laughs) You're subject to its laws. We can still hold you accountable to the things that we require from you. However, we are not going to give you the rights and benefits thereof.
1: And there have been protests throughout history, too, where women have been like, um, if we're not getting any of the benefits, I don't think I should have to pay you taxes. Like...
2: That does. I'm right. really not pleased with I'm not, this. I'm not down with it. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting, like, even if you look back at like the thirteen colonies had different rules for women's participation or one. And actually right after the revolution, New Jersey actually did grant women the right to vote. It didn't last very long. But I find it interesting that you're like this very small, you know, like new nation, we're still not all on the same page. And our identity as a state, we're going to grant certain citizenship rights that other places aren't. We're going to have different opinions on slavery and who is and is not a person in our particular corner of the nation, which, like, talk about a contradiction to begin with, like, been putting a pin in the horrors that, that were American slavery, the fact that you could have a nation that didn't even agree on.
0: Who is a Are person? Are you a person? Are you a yeah. person or
2: not? That we could put a pin in that one. It's like... And no
1: one wanted to deal with it. But they just kept kicking that can down the line no, for as long as possible. Someone's,
2: someone's gonna have to deal with it eventually, but it's not gonna just be me. Just all fucking and founders kind of nose-gaming out of that
1: <laughs> yeah, discussion.
2: Like, nope. nope. But yeah, and, it's, and the fact that this rather drastic variation in national identity could be kicked down to a... State level, and that that state identity in some ways superseded a nation, a national identity in terms of are we going to make a decision about personhood?
0: Right, and can say a a people be defined by say like at that point was it going to be like one nation with thirteen states, or was it going to be thirteen nations with sort of a loose connection to each other, like you know
2: mm-hmm.
0: just sort of a loose I mean, alliance? we kind (laughs) of
2: tried the whole like you know articles of confederation thing first and we decided to go a little more unified than that but still not really where we're at now
0: like it could have ended up a lot like what we're talking about before with germany that you had all these different tiny nations but like we're all german but we're also each our own little thing
2: (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's kind of interesting right like i I'm, I'm trying to think of, it seems like most times, and I'm generalizing horribly, so please point out exceptions to this because I'm not thinking of them, that when you start out with loose amalgamations of individual, smaller nations that have their own identity, but they kind of loosely...
0: Have a joint identity.
2: Have a joint identity with others, that slowly that joint identity begins to take over more and more of... A national identity and eventually kind of shifts over, like the thirteen colonies, like the, the German states, like one that I actually don't know as much about as I probably should are like the Native American alliances. Like, to what extent did those begin to matter as much as tribal identity? I don't know. Like that would be a I know good exception to the rule. I don't know. I know as a kid about it to know.
0: Like we learned about the fu- if tribes of the Iroquois Nation. Yes. How much of that was bullshit and how much was accurate? I don't even know. But like this is this is what we're taught. And thus that adds another thing. It's how much of a national identity is imposed externally from other people saying, like, they're all they're right. all Germans. They're right. all
2: <laughs> We recognize those people as a people and they're like, Hell no, we don't even <laughs> like them.
1: Yeah, and how much of the how much of the conglomeration happens voluntarily versus involuntarily? How much is one component of of that blob enforcing itself on others and I can think about this happening I mean Mm -hmm. I can think about it happening practically on every continent at some point in history where whether through military force or not some part of that nation starts exerting influence on its neighbors and even if they are not fully subsumed to one another they begin having multi-level identities as you know their, their more localized group and then their larger group you think about even today i mean the the sheer number of different identities within almost any large geographically large nation you know china india the u.s i mean gosh our regions don't get along (laughs) half the time um so yeah that's 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 a super interesting thing to sort of think about is how does one nation start exerting itself upon the others either by force or just by sort of culturally overwhelming them or economically overwhelming and, and how much,
2: And how much cultural or economic overwhelm is just, that's what happens when someone gets more powerful than their neighbors and how much of it is intentional even without military intervention. Like, you know, how much of it is well, if you're going to trade with us, you're going to use our money. Or you're going to speak our dialect if you're going to work with us. Or we're going to put together a joint military so that we can defend against our common enemies but to do that we're going to do it by our rules so your kids better all be trained to do it our way or else they don't really have a future in that particular career I mean that kind of stuff happened all over the place remember I think it was the 1870 the Franco-Prussian yeah era. they realized when they they put together French troops from all over France that the ones from the south couldn't understand what the Parisians were saying (laughs) because the languages were still different enough that they didn't follow so they after this instituted a nationwide school system so that everyone would speak the same French so in what you know so it's like education can overwhelm localized identity when you have larger overarching national education systems
0: and then you get something like who gets to decide what's actual proper French or like the Royal Academy or, or the Parisians Royal Academy Decide. of Spain <laughs> deciding like, okay, we've gotta we gotta lock down what the Spanish language is and make up some rules and, and things like that. Like is is there a point where that where that imposition of language is in fact the the way a national identity is locked in? And then do you have these things that don't necessarily show up on like a world map? Like there are some I within say France and Spain and where France and Spain have a border come together. come together, there's a lot of like little things that are not separate nations, but if you ask somebody there, they're neither French nor Spanish, yep. but Basque or what have you. And mm-hmm. and they're they're very even though that's not defined by paperwork or by the or by where official borders are or by governments, it is defined by them. If being who they are.
1: I sort of love if we extrapolate this out to a fantasy world, the different things that could mean, you know, is the way you practice magic specific to your national identity? Can you influence or force your neighbors to practice your kind of magic rather than another kind of magic to get that influence? Are there certain... Rituals, initiations, whatever, that you have to learn to be part of the nation or to be a certain citizenship level within a nation. Like, I think you can start complicating it in those sorts of ways, too.
0: When I first did the, like, the initial world building for the World of Meridian it was in some nearly 30 years ago, like, it was a lot of, like, it was a lot of this sort of broad brushstrokes of, like, here's one nation, here's another nation, and then as I... Did that more work? Some of them, like, okay, druthal is one nation that is broken into 10 different archduchies. And so there is that sort of cultural identity to each archduchy, but it is still one unified country with a unified government under, under all of that. But some of the other ones, I'm like, this is not a nation. This is, you know ten kingdoms that have some shared linguistic and religious and cultural identity, but there is, they are distinctly different nations. And how am I expressing these things in the way I was expressing them in, in some of the older documents I did, and now that I've been going th- I've done more and more revampings of those documents, I've evolved the way I've been expressing that sort of thing in my, in my world-building work. And... That that remains a constant challenge of what what, what even are the terms I'm using to define a place and a people.
1: Well, it's fun, too, because it's like there's a sort of inverted double question, which is how large can a nation be before it starts developing or having or absorbing from its neighbors those regional differences within it? Or how small can a nation be and still be considered a nation? You know? Like, can a single street declare itself a nation? I feel like this is something we see in parody a lot of like parodies of revolutionary things, yeah. like, I have declared myself the independent republic of me and it's like, okay, buddy, no one's listening to you, but sure. It's like how how is there a, a maximum or minimum size of nation before it is either
2: I too mean, complex
1: or too inviable
2: <laughs> to stand on its own? I mean when you when you've got like Liechtenstein and Monaco. I mean, somehow these have held out against the presence of very long-lived and powerful neighbors. I
0: mean, if you look up Monaco, which is a country, a separate country, its area is measured in acres, <laughs> not square miles.
2: Blink and you miss it.
0: Yeah, it's and its population is under 40,000. Like, it's like. It's not a country, it's it's a town. <laughs> but but yet it's a country.
1: Terry Pratchett in the Discworld series described Lanker and it was obviously joking, but as, you know, not being large enough to lay down in. Like your head would be in one country and your feet would be in another.
0: Oh, <laughs> right, I just looked it up. Monaco is not even 1 square mile.
1: Wow. But there it is
0: there it is and still a country
1: color on the map and everything and, yeah, and, and then that does bring up like what allows it to be independent in that way well i think a lot of economic force is what it has and and things like that
0: but also like how much of being a country is about being acknowledged and recognized by your neighbors like is the idea of of being a separate country because other people were like yes you are a separate country like it could have been a situation where monica is like yes we're a separate country and france is constantly going that's that's adorable
2: that you Cute. think so <laughs> well and it's like
1: once again this is a, a modern sort of thing now we have international agencies that sort of agree to it right like we all you know right. we're, gonna, we're gonna get to the together at the u.n and decide that they get a seat at the table but yeah like i mean back in the day when germany was 800 different tiny little countries like who who knew and, and if you talk to somebody from england and you were, they were like oh is that a country i i didn't know are you really i we call them counties here, but sure, that sounds nice. If you want to be your own country, I guess, sure. <laughs> like, how how did they define that? I, I'm just, I don't know exactly how it's like, other people would. It's known. like all those
2: like like those funny hijinks in in fantasy stories where someone makes up a country and like, yes, I'm the prince of such and such. Like, you could probably pull that off. Yeah, in... I think so. A non-zero number of historical spaces. I, I, I mean, that's
0: essentially the plot of A nice Tale.
2: yes.
1: Tale,
0: It's yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm the Duke of... Uh, Gelderland. God ...Lichtenstein. It's Gel- Gelderland. Gelderland. He's it's like, blonde, he's tan, he's got, he comes
1: from Gelderland. I know the song. He's
0: got paperwork, so it seems to check <laughs> Probably.
1: out. Probably. I've never been there, but neither has anybody else, so... <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to any of these places, so fine. It sounds right. Sounds like a nation. Uh, sure. Sure.
0: Sounds good enough, so we'll let him joust. Fine. <laughs> At what point is is there enough cohesive understanding of what's a nation and what's not that that sort of con can no longer work? That you can just sort of be like, you know, walk in and say I'm from here, and people are like, okay, that's that sounds legit. I don't know.
1: <laughs> Versus, um, I looked that up on Wikipedia, and that's not a country. <laughs> it's real. But then can you magic them into thinking it's a country? Or I'm thinking, like, Doctor Who, when the doctor has his psychic papers that just sort of say whatever somebody expects to see. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. He's from a place that sounds like a place, and I believe that. I feel like con men would have a much easier time in both an, an earlier tech and a magical world if they had magical abilities at their disposal. Like, being no end to the nonsense they could can... get up to.
0: <laughs> Although I've seen a few... Th- well, there's if you saw the tinder swindler thing there was a con man who utilized like he basically like faked wikipedia articles about the identity that he was assuming so then he'd be like yeah i'm the son of this guy we run this and people and the women he was talking to would look it up and they'd find him there and they'd find these articles that, that he doctored up and be like wow he really is the son of a billionaire and then
1: that was also a, a joke in an episode of How I Met Your Mother, where Barney Stinson did that. Basically, if people are going to
2: con, they will use whatever means whatever tools they at their disposal. They have.
0: Including naming themselves the prince. Oh, that was... Somebody was talking about this in terms of in Aladdin, where it's like, Aladdin says, Make me a prince. And so mm-hmm. being made a prince implies that you have a people. You have a country and does the genie doing that suddenly like make a people and make you know how did making him See, i've
2: always been bothered that they, they work they, they just have a like a they made him look like yeah, a prince
1: right
2: they just made him look like a prince like no that was not the no wish. the wish was
1: make me there should a be prince some he has land somewhere presumably there,
2: there should be some principality that Plopped up somewhere. <laughs>
0: well, but also he <laughs> like Arthur arrives Obama. with like a train of servants and elephants and all that. Like, who are those people? Where did they come from? i
1: had always assumed they were just like hallucinations that they were just they was, illusions. Yeah, they're they're the like community.
2: like illusion. Yeah, but I don't know that that's true. That's just what I have. See, I assumed since And I will say the, the the live the live action one kind of does a little bit more with that. There is no country. It's it's made up. It's he's just he just looks like a prince. But they even kind of like draw in like magically on the map, like a little country. <laughs> and like, so, see? She was like looking at the map and was like, I'm not finding where you're from. And then the genius kind of like, bloop. <laughs> and wait, how did I miss this? I have been reading this map my whole life. What the heck? So, but yes, I think that it would be a much better story if there actually was some little principality out there that he's now <laughs> actually responsible for. <laughs> and like, three weeks later they get this urgent message that there have been like massive flooding or landslides <laughs> or something and we need you to come back right away because it's like, it's like I've never heard of these people in my wait, life but oh dear what? <laughs> like, no
0: I made you a prince it's a job there's your sequel yeah.
1: <laughs> there's a the sequel yes. right there I love it that really needed to happen <laughs> I feel like Aladdin not prepared for that challenge Jasmine completely prepared no Jasmine's like I got this She's honey good. it's fine yeah Yeah. Just remember to feed
2: the cat while I'm gone, or he'll eat you.
0: Though that also makes me wonder about if you have a situation where, say, a nation collapses, or, you know, the government completely changes over, like, is there still that sense of a national identity to a nation that no longer exists? And how much does... I mean, because I'm partly thinking about, like, there is a person out there who is who is still considered like the emperor of Brazil in absentia when Brazil hasn't been an empire since 1887 but he is part of like the imperial line and there's also like still technically the royal line of Italy of the the house of savoy and there's you know there's contention right now of who is the heir to the house of savoy when you think why does that matter <laughs> because there's not going to be another king of Italy. Italy is not going to be a kingdom again. But yet still, there is a sort of there is a sort of <laughs> sense you never that, know. Like, these noble houses for a nobility that doesn't exist anymore are still kind of relevant, and I find that fascinating.
1: Trying to hold on to something, or like when the Roman Empire pulled out of Britain, was Britain then no longer Roman? Well, a lot of the people there still consider themselves Roman, at least for a while. But then a few decades, a couple generations passed, and then, the, I'm remembering some story, and I'm going to get some of the details wrong, but, like, the Romans essentially, like, sent an envoy being like, hey, we'd like your taxes. And the people in Britain were like, um, y'all haven't been here for a while. We're, we're not doing that anymore. Like... You, you don't go here. We're not paying your taxes. We're paying tribute to, you know, von Helf up the road. Um, he decided he's king, and we were like, okay, fine, sure. Uh, oh you want our taxes then come back here and deal with the invading jutes because they're coming over the ocean and it's a real problem oh you don't want to do that you don't want to do that we're not giving you our money (laughs) but like where did that shift happen and did it happen in every part of the country at the same time probably not like the areas that had been more heavily romanized probably hung on a little longer to the idea that no we're definitely still roman they're totally gonna come back someday y'all
2: Like, he's totally gonna call us back (laughs) I love it's it is so sad because you do I think in many there are many stories of the no really they're coming back because after the the horrible failed 19 or 1745 Jacobite rebellion there are all of these stories of Bonnie oh, Prince is gonna come back he's gonna come back the prince is gonna come back across the water man and it was like oh it's not happening he ran off to france dressed like a lady and it's not happening i'm sorry, sorry. scotland he's just not Great. that into you
0: you made me think of that bit in <laughs> monty python the holy grail where Arthur's like he's like i'm we're all british this is all britain and i'm your king and they're like this is news to me <laughs>
1: never seen you before
0: <laughs> what is that process of becoming a nation and then letting the folks that are now part of that nation know hey guess what
1: <laughs> no that they're part of your nation
0: <laughs> we drew a border over there right. you're on this side you're one of us now <laughs> sorry that's 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 what the map says
1: <laughs> what's in it for me i just want to know
0: look we, eternal
1: question of human nature <laughs>
0: we we drew a map and yes. the lady of the lake gave me a sword <laughs>
2: I still say floozies and lakes handing out swords sounds like a uh, pretty. I'm
0: for it. I mean...
2: That's a point. Um, can I volunteer to be the floozy? Because <laughs> that sounds like better job
1: prospects than what I got going right now.
0: <laughs> you get to live in a lake. You get to you get to have Love swords. <laughs> yes,
1: probably shiny have swords dress to rise majestically out of the water.
2: Like yeah, sure. This, yeah, it sounds, this sounds like a
0: good gig for you, Cass. I'm for I it.
1: Think it I think it does. It does.
2: And I feel like we could segue into how the Arthurian Tales were a exercise in nation-building and... It's a national story. ...people creation for the British people as a national story.
0: It's it's creating an identity through a story. Exactly. Well,
2: it was, it was funny. And it was, the, the Robin Hood stories are, too. I was watching... I forced my children to watch the 1938 Adventures of Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. And I had forgotten how much of that is very much a, like... American story about nationhood because it's all about the fact that there are Normans and Saxons, but we're all going to be one country together. And it's, you know, these, the jerks are the ones who are favoring the Normans over the Saxons. And that's wrong. The whole idea of nation building and just like that, that we, we make these choices and we tell these stories to ourselves. And also Olivia de Havilland is a gem
0: But yeah, like the idea that there was, you know, there were Normans and there were Saxons, but like, can we, can we sort of scrub that and just all be British instead and convincing everyone? Right. We can
2: just do that. that. We can just choose to do that. If we have a king who's nice about it, (laughs) we'll just choose
1: to do that. When in fact, the kings of England mostly spoke French up until Henry IV, I think was the first one to at least like issue his legal documents in English rather than in French. But also for a lot of that time, the English crown owned more oh. of France than the king of France did, which means like, okay, the people living in Aquitaine, what were they? English? French?
2: Just Aquitanian? Who knows? Aquitanese? <laughs>
0: like the sense of like, what's physically supposed to be France, but yet it's ruled by the British king right now. But like, is it France? Is it England? Who knows? And, and the idea that, you know, uh, a, a little light invasion can change what a nation is. At no point during World War II was France considered anything other than France, but it was German-occupied France. But they never changed; the, tried to change their sense of nationhood. And I think that's... I mean, and that might be a uniquely sort of European thing of like...
2: They also didn't really get a chance to.
0: Well, there's that. They, they didn't have the time. It was... <laughs> That's yeah but there is sort of the sense of like what's which nation was like sort of decided a hundred years ago and, and we've locked it in and we're not <laughs> we're not going <laughs> It's like these people are French, regardless of what else is happening, that's what's happening here.
1: Well there's the there's the region in Spain that's been trying to secede because they're like, I mean, you guys decided we were Spanish but we're not sure we really want to be and the whole debate about like do they get to vote themselves out? Should they get to be
0: same with Quebec.
2: Yeah, yeah. These things do keep happening, and well, and and the nastiness in Russia and Ukraine did not start this spring. You know that there have been regions there that have been pissed for quite some time, and that that wasn't entirely utilized by Russian propaganda, but wasn't the situation was not created by Russian propaganda in many ways. Like that existed.
1: No, and there's a question too about like. To you know, if, if people in a region get to determine what part of a, you know, which country they're part of, okay, if I send a bunch of my citizens across the border to settle there right. to move in, and then they vote to leave, like, is that does that legit? count? Is that <laughs> and I feel like that's sort of what the Donbass region is is sort of grappling with, mm-hmm. and
2: it's very, well, and it's really it, complicated. It's and going back even further, that those are regions that did not exist as they exist now for very long. I mean. Yeah. You had the turmoil of the USSR falling apart. You had the turmoil of World War II. You had turmoil before that of World War One, and before that of Jesus, all kinds of shifting, weird nonsense that happened over the centuries prior to that. So yeah, it's like the question there of peoplehood versus nationhood versus how long these borders existed and who decided on them and when is weird and complicated. <laughs> And None like excuses Putin being a jackass. No, <laughs> but, and, and he's he's clearly but, like
1: he's clearly chosen to pick one point in time where Russia was <laughs> like all of these things, and he's like that's the only time the borders were correct. And it's like <laughs> I yes. don't think you get to decide that. You, no, that's not how that that's, works. No. But that's what he's trying for. And I hope he gets his ass kicked as thoroughly as it deserves to be kicked.
0: Since we record this three weeks before it comes out, the entire situation yeah. on the ground might be radically different. Maybe very different. Yeah,
1: God knows what it could be like by the end of April. We're recording this at the beginning of April, so, uh, well, that took a dark turn. That took a yeah. dark turn.
0: So to pivot to a thing that we can close up with, within our own world, like, what is the sense of nationhood our various people have, especially within the corners we've been playing with. I'm sure, I mean, since we have whole chunks of the world that we've not even touched, there might be very radical different ideas of what nationhood is. But what is like, what is the concept of nationhood in each of our little places?
1: I feel like it's fairly simple for Fjallanir because they they live along their river. And once you get very far off that river, the land is so inhospitable that there really aren't a lot of people there. And if there are people there, well, they can decide if they want to be part of us or not. So their terrain, their geography, I think probably defines a lot of what connects them. And we are connected by this river and by the things we do on this river and by sending our trade up and down this river. And then past that, they probably don't worry about it too much because if anybody really wants to march across that frozen tundra to get to them, like, good luck, buddy. (laughs) Have fun with that.
2: Yes, I mean, I set up I'll not Lear as being basically a confederacy that you have these individual islands that are each their own state but they work in concert with one another for mutual benefit so I feel like I already set it up a little bit complex to begin with, where people do identify most strongly with their island with their state but they recognize kind of a larger stronger than an alliance not quite a nation that they are part of as well
0: yeah, I see Griasta as not being a nation. Like, there is no there is no governing council over all of Griasta, or there's no king, there's no royal council or anything like that. But Because I see it as several different city-states that have this sort of shared sense of identity of being Griaston, but each city-state sort of is autonomous in its own way. And then... There's no unifying government or overarching body that is, like, ruling that. There's no, there's no Griaston Senate, because no,
1: nope. nobody, ain't nobody got time I'm trying to for picture that. it. Well, with what you've established about their sort of, like, loose grasp of punctuality, <laughs> I'm trying to imagine, like, convening a parliament among the Griastons. <laughs> and I imagine someone's probably tried at some point. Like, some gung-ho person's been like, you know what we should do? And then, like, nobody turned up and they just went to get tacos
2: instead. Like... Maybe maybe they actually like lean into this and it's like they just have like a two week period that's kind of like open office hours and it's kind of just like this like forum of like anyone shows up We'll talk about some stuff. We've got we've got drinks and we'll chat.
0: I actually like the idea <laughs> of that instead of there being there being a larger like sort of like parliament or senate body, but instead of it like meeting and debating and having like we have come to order and it's like it's just sort of like like this open thing where like somebody will they'll like leave just like a journal and somebody will like write their opinion. And then like everybody's vote is just sort of like taken over the course of the month. And then, and then somebody will go and like look through the book and be like, okay, I guess we decided.
1: You're governing by slam book. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what's happening here? I think so. That's what's happening. I think so. (laughs) God's help y'all. When the (laughs) Fjallinaries learn about this, because they're not gonna know what to do with that information like i know I.
0: but like i think the idea of like setting a time where we all convene and like oh we we can't we can't actually convene because we don't have a quorum of people like that's just not that's just not what they do <laughs> they're just like <laughs> did everybody like at least get a chance to like thumb through the journal and write down an opinion or not uh, maybe Look, they they had a month. If they didn't do it, they didn't want to do it. So it's fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't have been that
2: important, right? They're too busy with snails.
1: Yeah,
0: and I think I think that's a system that's worked out
2: for them. So it's it's worked out for them so far. Yeah, and I feel like all of these these views of nationhood have the potential to be challenged and changed by like changing technology, the progression of time, all that kind of stuff. Like I think that. All of these have fun ways you can kind of poke at them. So like in a hundred years, does it look like that? In 200 years, when you have easier ways to transport people and stuff across the tundra, like does that challenge the 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 people of Fallen Year to have stricter concept of borders or not so much? Like, does being part of a loose amalgamation of islands over time mean that the all nut leary will eventually become one nation? And that's just how it is will marshall's people's lack of punctuality eventually mean that a huge tidal wave <laughs> will kill all of them because they weren't paying attention to everyone saying they needed to leave now we don't know
0: we hope not you said now hope not. did you mean i mean like because so the food's not now. done <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we don't want to just like leave that on the grill <laughs> so when you say now i was just more thinking like like can their entire civilization be upended just because a bunch of punctual jerks just showed up and just took control of the slam book and then made all the rules that I mean, they wanted them to make.
1: I, f- I feel like that is the risk. Like, I mean, if internet forums have told us no- taught us nothing,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Grasta is just like really lucky that that our world is fairly nice and not prone to colonization because I feel like a jerk with a lot of punctuality could probably sneak in and 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 wreak some non snail looking havoc mm-hmm. but they don't because the mores of our world would say that's not cool we won't play nicely with you because we don't do that
0: i've always had this idea that they have these neighbors who are extremely orthodox and sort of the only reason <laughs> why like it hasn't gone to war is because the orthodox people are just isolationist enough to be like they're a mess but we're not gonna we don't we just wanted them to not bring their mess here
1: <laughs> we do not see them we do not acknowledge them we want no part of their nonsense
0: <laughs> if we attack them that just might get their mess all over our we, hands and we don't we need... have
2: to deal with them and we don't want to do that
0: <laughs> it's like then we'd have to like rule them and Have you seen
2: them? No. I feel like I feel like maybe this was tried once many years ago. Like there's like like a legend of the time that someone from the neighboring country attempted to take over a small part of Griasta and gave up and like a
0: month. (laughs) There's like
2: (laughs) We can't
1: make them do anything. (laughs) They just
2: care.
0: It's like we arrested a bunch of people to try and be like really strict and then they like had parties in the jail and <laughs>
1: we tried to steal their stuff and they said hey man enjoy it and I
2: just, yeah, just do you want some more it. It
0: just it didn't just didn't work
1: and in a made-up world you can make people behave like that
0: you can you can you can have yeah. you can have a people be how you want them to be you can make those choices
2: and if you have someone who's a giant dickwad and invades his neighbor. You can curse him with some kind of magic that makes his dick fall off.
1: Mm. I have lots of ideas of inventive curses for <laughs> just saying. for dictatorial jackwads. Lots of inventive things if you've got magic. So many, so many I, ideas. I can actually see that for
0: the Griassans, that would be what they consider an apt punishment for being a jerk. That <laughs> their magic. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. Oh, you're going to be that way? You don't get a penis. Sorry.
1: (laughs) Or even better, like not even necessarily taking away the physical bits, but like the curse of anhedonia, the curse of you will never enjoy anything ever again. You will not enjoy sex. You will not enjoy food. You will enjoy nothing. Nothing in your life brings you happiness. You know what?
2: You won't even enjoy nothing. It's just going
1: to be like you have a slight itch for the rest of time. Just...
2: that's it. <laughs> That'd be so mean. That'd be great.
1: It's... I love it.
2: I can th- I can think of certain world leaders I'd apply it to. <laughs>
0: Hi, you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Worldbuilding for Masochists and letting us help you overcomplicate your writing life. Our next episode goes up May 11th, where Sarah Gailey will join us to talk about farm-to-table worldbuilding as we explore deeper the paths food takes to reach the tables of your worlds. If you want to know more about your hosts and the fantastical books we write, links to all that information is on our website at worldbuildingformasochists.podbeam.com. We really hope you liked this episode. If you did, please do take a minute to tell a friend, shout about us on the internet, or leave a review on iTunes. If you've got questions or just want to tell us how cute we are, there's a number of ways to contact us. We're on Twitter as Worldbuildcast, and our email is worldbuildcast at gmail.com. We also have a Discord chat room linked in the About the Show page of our website if you want to come chat with us and other fans of the podcast. We'd love for you to share the worlds you're making and help us all build until it hurts.